Hi, and welcome to Soul Power Trip with me, Priscilla Tiziana. I am a Jungian psychoanalytic life coach, and here we talk about all things psychology, spirituality, neuroscience, and creativity to teach you how to manifest your dream life. So if you're ready to level up, let's go on a Soul Power Trip. So today's episode is going to be about the idea that everyone you attract into your life is a mirror. So the concept is that your romantic partners actually reflect back to you what you deny about yourself. And those qualities that you deny about yourself are what we call the shadow, right? So if the same type of issues keep resurfacing in your romantic relationships, there's a good chance your shadow self is sabotaging those relationships. So it's important to really understand this concept to be able to attract the right partner. So today we'll go through what is the shadow concept, why it forms, how it forms, and how it shows up in life and in relationships, and ultimately we'll get to how to fix it, what to do about it. So to get us started, some background information, the shadow concept was coined by my fave, Carl Jung, and he said that we are, who we are is determined in large part by who we are not, right? So For example, Myers-Briggs personality test, which was also based in Carl Jung's psychology. If you think about it in terms of that personality test, if someone is in ENFJ, they are also the opposite of an ISTP, right? So you are you and you are also the opposite of you. If you're introverted, then you are also not extroverted. If you approach the world by feeling, you don't approach the world by thinking important to understand that that outer personality your ENFJ is your persona and that opposite of you is like the other extremes of those qualities is your shadow how does the shadow develop well to start we understand psychologically that when we're born we have an essence a large portion of our personality that is already in place and ready to express itself throughout our lives we like to do things that we're good at and we avoid things that we're not good at right so in this way we consciously develop certain skills while undeveloped talents retreat into the unconscious so if there's certain talent of yours that you weren't really able to express or play into when you were a child that talent of yours is going to go back into the unconscious but those undeveloped inborn talents don't go away they can't be destroyed they just get pushed into the unconscious and this is where an interesting thing takes place those personality traits inevitably become personified that is a hidden unconscious personality forms around the abilities that we diverted into the unconscious. So in our earlier example, the idea of that opposite of your Myers-Briggs is that personified shadow that lives within. Another huge part of shadow formation is obviously childhood, right? And your parental influence. So when we're children, our parents are gods to us. I always tell my clients, it's like you're living in a bubble And once you grow up and come outside of the bubble, you're like, wait, how I was taught the world works doesn't actually work that way. But at the time when we're children, our parents are God, what they say goes. So if they tell us to be something other than the person that we were born to be or intended to be by nature, 
then we're probably going to change ourselves until we correspond more closely to what our parents want us to be like. It's very important for the child brain to perceive love and support from their parents, so you will avoid any action that could threaten that love and support. So if you perceive that they will disapprove of a certain characteristic in you, you will avoid that behavior. And parental validation is more important than your development at this point in your life. So you might be able to think of examples of that in your own life, where your parents had an expectation, for example, for you to be a more logical person, but you were more touchy-feely, you're more uh, emotional than what they wanted you to be. So at an early age, your child brain decided that it's not good to be emotional, I'm going to instead force myself to approach the world how my parents told me to, which is more logic and rationale-based. There was this example about the uh, way the shadow develops in a book I was reading on Jungian psychology, and the psychologist who was writing the book told us about a client he had who, when he was a child, was a sensitive and loving little boy. His mother alternated between telling him how much she loved, how sweet he was, and would also make fun of him for being so vulnerable, for not being tough enough, and would tell him things like, you need to man up. Neither response had anything to do with the little boy's actions. It really just depended on the mother's mood. Regardless, for survival purposes, that sensitive little boy grew up to be hard and suspicious. He grew to distrust anyone displaying affection. So as armor, he actually came off as a very ultra cool type of person, very closed off, very sheltered, very shy, and really would be hard to even tell that he was ever a sensitive type of person because his approach to the world is very cold-hearted and that's the persona he put out there for the world to see right so in his shadow had to go those sensitive and loving qualities because they weren't adaptable they weren't going to help him survive they were disapproved by his mom and he also might have assumed that being sensitive or loving wasn't manly, quote-unquote. So he had to put those qualities into his shadow and deny that he ever even was those things. Why do we have a shadow? We create an ideal view of ourselves, for example, as kind and gentle yet strong or trustworthy and helpful, but any self-image composed of only what we consider good or light lacks dark shading required for completion. This idea is actually mimicked in a bunch of different cultures such as the yin-yang or shiva shakti where you have these two energies, right? And one, they're in their polar opposites and one might be deemed as like what we see as good and light and one is more dark, right? The darkness though, doesn't always have to really be associated with evil or bad. Evil is actually a religious term, and I think Christianity um, has made like a pretty big point to think of this idea of light and perfection without darkness and attributes all sort of darkness or, you know, negativity to the devil. And that's just not true, right? It's like, it's two parts of a whole. Like you need both the light and the dark. You need the dark to show off the light. Christianity likes this idea of only light, no darkness, and I think that's kind of why we maybe culturally in America have a apprehension towards darkness because we associate it with 
all these qualities of like evil and bad and devil but that was just a little excerpt of what i thought about when i was doing this research however the idea is that like the there's a feminine and masculine or there's a light and dark energy or yin and yang these ideas are mimicked in most cultures um, and especially in eastern philosophies you can see a lot of that opposites that are united to form one whole so if we deny our darkness the more energy gathers around the shadow if we don't acknowledge it we project our shadow onto someone around us projections aren't totally random there has to be some sort of hook for the shadow to attach itself so this shadow is a whole combo of undesirable and unadaptable qualities right so i want to make this point about unadaptable qualities because these are traits that you perceived as unwanted, unlovable, or not helpful for your survival. So for example, the little boy who had to put his softness into his shadow because it wasn't helpful for his survival. When his mom was being so verbally abusive to him, him being a sensitive person wasn't going to help him get through that. Him being a tough and cold-hearted person did help him get through that. So it's really important for him to deny his softness for survival, right? It wasn't adaptable. And this happens the same way in a masculine to feminine way, where unfortunately gender roles do play a big part in our psyche. And if we look to other women and find ourselves as children seeing qualities that in ourselves that aren't feminine, then we might actually tend to quiet down those qualities or ignore those qualities and throw them into our shadow because our uh, sense of belonging is actually like a major motivating force for us as humans. Like we have a strong social desire to belong, right? So growing up with that desire to belong as a woman or a man, you look around and you say, okay, what is a woman supposed to do? How should a boy act, right? What, how am I supposed to act? How do other boys act? How do other girls act, right? And if you perceive certain qualities in yourself that don't align with your gender role, then you're gonna try to avoid those behaviors for the sake of fitting in. Now, I know there's a lot of nuances to that idea that psychology hasn't really like caught up with, but that is a general um, foundation for what we think of when we think of forming the shadow. We do have these ways of perceiving the world by gender, unfortunately. It's kind of already implanted in our psyche when we're born. So although that's rapidly changing, anyone born, you know, before the past 20 years is going to have these shadow aspects um, relevant to their gender roles because those gender roles and traditions were more harshly in place. We become so attached to our persona, our ideal self-image, that we believe to receive love, acceptance, or success that we desire, we need to hide the shadow qualities from others, right? And even from ourselves. So the problem with trying to hide our qual shadow qualities from our partner is that they always end up showing up, right? So the shadow never ceases to exist. The shadow is all aspects of self-rejection, both conscious and unconscious. So if there's some aspect of yourself that you are not at peace with, you're gonna unknowingly drag your own lack of acceptance into every relationship you're in. So how does shadow show up in your relationship? There's two, kind of three ways it shows up. The first way is 
what I've called admiration projection, which is that you attract good qualities that you admire about someone else because you wish you could be like that. And unknowingly, you are that way. Those qualities are just unconscious and in your shadow, right? So for example, if you were born a very creative person, but you were taught to deny that about yourself because, for example, your parents were very mechanical or logical and they rejected um, artistry or creativity, you kind of learn to grow up and be like, okay, it's actually not adaptable for me to be a more creative or fluid person in my environment. And you're gonna actually attract a partner who is very creative to teach you how to love that part of yourself. And on the other hand, there is the idea that you're going to attract bad qualities, right? That you dislike in others to learn to accept those qualities in yourself. For example, if you hate that your partner is selfish and not focused on you, it's because they're meant to teach you how to be selfish. The persona in the world is too giving, too helpful, and too selfless. So you attracted the opposite back to you to show you how you can be selfish, right? So Think of it as a yin-yang. The white side is your persona and you are the entire yin-yang, right? You are both the white side and the dark side, but you only show the white side to the world. So what are you going to attract? You're going to attract that dark side, which is actually a reflection of that dark side within yourself. Third way that it comes up is a little bit of both, right? So you admire certain qualities at first and then you eventually hate those same qualities. So this is experience people have of saying the things you love about them in the beginning, you end up hating about them. So for example, you admire your partner's emotional resilience at the beginning of the relationship. You like that he doesn't get bothered easily and he's more logical than you are in approaching his emotions and doesn't let it overwhelm him. You admire this person's emotional strength because your persona is more vulnerable or easily overwhelmed by emotions, right? So eventually the admiration could turn into jealousy. Now you start projecting your anger onto your partner saying, I hate that he's so stoic, emotionless. He's always so unbothered and cold. It's almost like he never feels anything. He never reacts, right? So you're mad because you actually don't let yourself act that way. Yes, you don't want to get into the other extreme of a lack of emotion or impenetrable toughness, but you're meant to actually find a balance. So I hope that's clear. And now how to fix it. First, you need to notice what you notice. Notice the triggers and notice what's wrong with being that way. There are positive and negative qualities in everyone you meet, but the ones you react to give you clues that can lead you to the discovery of your own shadow. Notice qualities, traits, behaviors that you judge, disapprove of, or find annoying in others. In particular, what aspects of your partner evoke a strong negative emotion within you? And then catch yourself judging your partner. For example, for being lazy or selfish, or do you criticize them for saying yes too often, right? Make a list of the qualities that you hate about your partner or even in general, but with your partner, it's kind of easier to see. The qualities that you find most intolerable in other people are often qualities within you that you have disowned, denied, or repressed. So once you've identified those qualities, this is step two, um, those qualities that you don't allow yourself to be, trace back the root of that reaction. When those triggers are followed and understood, they'll lead us 
back to the aspects of ourself that need our love and acceptance. So when you're looking at your list of your partner's less than desirable traits, as you reflect on each one, ask yourself, why is it so bad to be that way? So for example, you judge your partner for being selfish, ask yourself, what's the tragedy in being selfish, right? You may then think to yourself, oh, it's tragic to be selfish because selfish people are uncompassionate, manipulative, disrespectful, but then ask, are those things really connected? Does being selfish equal manipulation? It doesn't. I know a lot of people who are selfish can be manipulative, but they're not one in the same. And now because you've made those associations in your brain, that being selfish means you're uncompassionate and a bad person, you don't even allow yourself to be selfish. And now that's becoming an issue because it came up in your partner, which means it's a shadow that's being projected, which means it's something that your unconscious wants you to address and heal. So from there, you ask yourself, can I be more selfish? right? Not an extreme, but are you leaning too much into your selfless persona? Is that persona benefiting you or hurting you at this point? And to go even deeper, ask yourself, can you remember who taught you that it's bad to be selfish and good to be selfless? Does this have anything to do with your gender role? Maybe as a woman, were you taught that being selfless and byproducts being self-sacrificing makes you a more valuable person or a more valuable woman and then make a choice do you want to continue that behavior or is it time for a switch up is it time to actually instead of hating your partner for being selfish actually allow them to teach you how to be a little bit more selfish and you know you went into their life so that you can teach them how to be selfless right so it's a two-way street in that way And then the last piece of this is to use the energy of love and acceptance to illuminate your dark side, right? So by recognizing the origin of that trigger, you have now made the unconscious conscious. And it's a relief because it's pretty much healed once the unconscious is made conscious, right? This takes openness, acceptance, and above all, self-love. Healing this shadow requires you to love and accept all aspects of yourself even those you deem as wrong or unlovable unless we love ourselves we can't truly love another unless we accept ourselves completely like the yin and the yang the light and the dark within us if not if you don't accept those you know what you deem negative qualities about yourself then you're going to depend you're going to develop a dependency on the approval and validation of others. So shower your so-called dark qualities in this healing energy of love and acceptance, and they will no longer exist in the shadow because you have now made them conscious. I always tell my clients to play with the opposite extreme for a while. Once we have this shadow healing moment, I'm like, okay, well, if you've been too selfless your whole life, Why don't you try just being really selfish? I'm not encouraging them to become an extremely selfish person. And if by nature they're more selfless, it's very unlikely for them to completely do a 180 and then become like stuck in this selfish persona. What will most likely happen is that you'll get to recognize the other extreme of, you know, between selfless and selfish behavior. And then that is going to allow you to find balance between both, right? Once you recognize what, each extreme looks like. 
So try it out. Let me know how it goes. Thank you for listening. And there is a Q&A forum that is now on my website. Please post any questions you have about this episode or questions you want to hear answered in the next episode. And I look forward to seeing you on our next Soul Power trip. Bye for now. (laughs)